Good morning. I'm Robin Shannon. And on this week's Fordham Conversations, we're shining a spotlight on young people who are making a difference in their communities through volunteer efforts. Peer Health Exchange's mission is to give teenagers the knowledge and skills they need to make healthy decisions. The group does this by training college students to teach health in public high schools that lack health education. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Cacuzzo, Senior Program Manager for the Peer Health Exchange. And also in the studio is Eva Lee, Leadership Council member for Fordham University's Peer Health Exchange chapter. Good morning. Good morning. Sarah, how did the Peer Health Exchange get started? Peer Health Exchange was started by two college students at Yale who were tutoring in New Haven Public Schools. And they were approached by a teacher who said, you know what? what we're really missing here is a health education class. We have lost funding. We don't have a health teacher. And our students are facing some really tough health decisions that they don't necessarily have the resources to navigate. And so um, these two students got a group of other students together and started uh, working with the schools to teach health workshops. So um, once they graduated, they decided to start a nonprofit, which was Peer Health Exchange. So that was 10 years ago. And how did it get here to Fordham University? Um, Fordham was one of the first schools we started working with in New York City. Um, Ten years ago, again, they decided to that New York City would be a great place to start, given that it has college students and high school students, and there's a lot of um, a lot of need and a lot of capacity for volunteers. And how does the organization find schools to partner with? We do a lot of outreach in the community, just talking to schools. That's one of my jobs in this role is to talk to schools, see what their health education looks like. In New York, there is a mandate for health education, but because of funding and because of a lot of various reasons, scheduling um, high stakes testing that students need to do early on. Um, Health can happen in a lot of different ways in different grades. And so I just start by talking with schools about what their health education looks like, what their needs are, um, and see if it makes sense for us to partner with them. Can you tell me what the curriculum looks like or how do you set up the, the training? Yeah, there are 13 workshops in the curriculum and it's focused on building skills. So the main units in the curriculum are focused around Uh, helping students practice communication skills, advocating for themselves and their communities, reflecting on the influences that they get around them, making healthy decisions, and then accessing resources that exist in their communities. And so within those skills, we help them practice um, based on information around sexual health, mental health, substance use, um, again, all around the focus of giving them those tools to be able to put their information into practice. Even you want to try to explain like how you go about training uh, or teaching When you think of teaching, you usually think of someone who goes into a classroom and dispenses information. The thing about Peer Health Exchange is that it's more focused on teenagers listening to each other and talking to us and having a conversation about uh, what's important to them rather than us, you know, coming in as authority figures and um, kind of spewing like information onto them. So that's I think that's what's different about teaching with PHE. And I do want to get back to that, but I I want to go through some Mm -hmm. of these um, examples of these. So let's go back to the health example Mm -hmm. of your core values. What exactly do you mean by that? By health, we really mean students having both the information and the skills to to make healthy decisions around sexual health, mental health, and substance use. The reason that we focus on those three areas is because we see that um, when students have poor health or have risky behaviors in those areas, it really affects their academic outcomes and their life opportunities in addition to um, just the health outcomes themselves. And so throughout the curriculum, we are you know, talking about things like um, 
How do you prevent pregnancy if you choose to have sex? How do you even make that decision in the first place? How do you communicate with a partner around what you want or what you know what you do and don't want to do? Things like how do you ask for help when you or a friend is um, having warning signs of depression? Um, how do you how do you see that in a friend and advocate for them? Um, and then in terms of substance use, what are what are our influences? You know, telling us that you know, alcohol is good or alcohol is bad or marijuana, um, having all of the facts to make a really informed and active decision rather than a passive decision of saying, well, this is, you know, this is here. So I'm just going to I don't I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to make a choice rather having them giving them the chance to think about how to stop, think, reflect and make an informed decision. So it's sort of training them to have the critical thinking to decide if this is an area that they want to go into, even if all their friends are. Absolutely. Either have you run into that um challenge with some of the students not maybe not wanting to do something their peers are and what advice do you give them so i was teaching this workshop and i had a student who was calling out pretty often saying some uh sexist things about women who choose to have sex Didn't. was it a male student yeah it was a male student. and they were just yelling out in class yeah i'm assuming it's the classroom mm -hmm. it is yeah i was in the classroom and so when I had a chance, I went over to him and, uh, you know, had a conversation with him. And, you know, I approached him and asked him why he thought those things and if it would have been okay if that was, you know, his sister's mom or students in his room or his friends. At the end of our conversation, he was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, like, fine, whatever. So kinda I didn't dismissive. <laughs> yeah, I didn't change his mind, right? Animosity intention. Yeah, I didn't pr approach him with the intention of changing his mind. Uh, it was just more of a chance to get him to think about these uh, tough issues that we were talking about. Um, so it was so a conversation rather than a confrontation. Um, and again, that's that's what's cool about PHE. You're not coming in as an authority figure, but rather a person who makes them at least think and talk about all these really, really tough subjects, at least at their age. How old are they about? Uh, they're mostly in ninth grade. So I would say uh, 14, 14, 15, 14 or 15. Yeah. And so you head to their, their classroom. Mm -hmm. So are you the main teacher and there's nobody else there? Is there other teachers who are with that particular high school there? How does that work? Okay, so ideally you go into the classroom with one other trained uh, health educator uh, or college volunteer um, and you can co-teach the workshop. Um, the person who's not teaching gets to classroom manage a little. Sometimes, and classroom manage means what? Classroom manage just means walking around, seeing that everyone you know has their workbook open, has something written down. If someone's talking out of line, um, just going over them and saying. And you know, is that okay. other person part of peer health exchange? Yes. Or, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Have you run into that where you might have a kid who's young, maybe a little uncomfortable talking about it, so they sort of act out? Mm -hmm. How do you handle that? Um, Are you trained to handle that? Does Peer Health Exchange train you to do that? Well, yeah, in some regards, but it's always difficult, you know, to walk in for the first time and have a ninth grader, like, directly open the workbook to the, the pictures of genitals and, like, laugh for, like, 10 minutes about it. It's something that you learn to deal with over time because students do laugh at a lot of these issues, but the laughter comes from a place of um, being uncomfortable and you just kind of have to remind them like you know these are real issues that eventually one day you might have to deal with. Sarah how do you guys train for that? Yeah so there's a couple things that we do one is just um, you know we tell the volunteers that they're not they're not necessarily the ones with the authority and that's not their job their role is to be the peers that can 
facilitate these really open conversations. And so that's why we, well, that's one reason why we always make sure that the classroom teacher is in the room. That person can step in. They're the ones that know the climate of their classroom. They have, they see the students every day. They can kind of step in if things get too out of hand. Um, but in general, another tool that we use is that at the beginning of the workshops, we have a set of um, community agreements that we have, that we talk about with the students. And some of them really resonate with the students. Like um, the one that I thought of when you were speaking, Eva, is we tell them to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I hear the students start saying themselves and using. Um, we even saw like a student had had written that on Twitter with like the hashtag Peer Health Exchange. Um, so it's clearly something that students kind of pick up on is like, OK, we feel really uncomfortable with this, but maybe that's OK. And it's OK to get those giggles out. Um, and I think that, you know, as a first time health educator, that can be kind of like jarring and nerve wracking. But I think with experience, I've seen the educators become more comfortable with saying like, yep, that's OK. We're going to laugh at this and we're still going to talk about it and we're going to kind of push through that uncomfortable. Yeah, Let's take five minutes and everybody yep. get it out. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, uh, how do you guys transition into dealing with maybe culturally diverse learning? You might mm -hmm. have people from different uh, cultural backgrounds, racial backgrounds, or sexual orientations. How do, what do you do? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good question. Just watching the language that you use, uh, making sure that it's not. Um, exclusive of any one group. My experience teaching the sexual education workshops, you have to be inclusive of people of all sexual orientations. Um, uh, I had one year where I was teaching the nutrition workshop, which no longer exists. Um, and you just kind of have to accept that people, you know, eat different foods at home um, based on what their parents might make. So it's all about... Is that why you don't have the program anymore? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah, we, we decided to focus on the, the three main health topics that we do, sexual health, mental health, and substance use, because the research shows that in a limited time education uh, program, that's where you can get the most bang for your buck in terms of like being able to influence behaviors, whereas nutrition is so influenced by structural factors that teens don't necessarily have as much control over that we wanted to focus on the things that maybe they could make choices in their lives that would feel more empowering. So more so that than than mm -hmm. the difference in foods. Um, but yeah, we do, you know, the, the volunteers all new and returning volunteers go through a pretty rigorous training process where they not only learn things like public speaking and how to facilitate a discussion, but also um, just being aware of of that difference that you were talking about of um, being how to be a culturally competent educator. And a lot of that is using inclusive language, as Eva was saying, and really just not making assumptions about students um, based on your own background or what you think their background is, um, because we really don't know um, when we go into a classroom who is sitting in front of us. And I think that um, the biggest tool to use is to simply ask the students what their experience is and have them share as much as possible. You know, it, we've, I've seen the most effective classes be where the educator is talking less because they're, the students are actually sharing their stories or speaking with each other about their experiences. And so. And that's I, encouraged? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, the more that the students can relate it to their own lives and make it personal, that is where we see a great impact and, and have seen the conversations be really fruitful. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon talking with Sarah Cacuzzo and Eva Lee from the Peer Health Exchange. The group trains college students to teach health in public high schools that lack health education. It's part of our spotlight on young people who are making a difference in their communities through volunteer efforts. Sarah, take me through this. I am <laughs> interested in Peer Health Exchange. 
What are the steps I would need to take from start to finish mm-hmm. to get me involved and out there helping high school students? We recruit for new volunteers at the beginning of the school year. So in the first couple weeks of September, when when everyone's back on campus, you'll see posters everywhere. Our colors are orange and blue. So you'll see the campus plastered with orange and blue. Um, And you can, you know, you'll see us at the club fair. You'll see us at different events. um, And that's here. I just have to. Here on campus at Fordham. At Fordham University. At Fordham University. Um, And the same thing happens at the other colleges that we work with in New York as well. So those are NYU, Columbia. Uh, City College, Hunter College, and Brooklyn College. Um, so in the first couple weeks of the school year, we have a recruitment period where people can apply online at peerhealthexchange.org slash apply. Um, and after that point, you will have an interview with one of the, the current volunteers who is a returner. And um, we select about um, about half of the applicants who apply get selected. And then you go through a training process where we'll have a full day retreat as well as um, shorter trainings throughout the year um, before someone can, you know, feel so that people feel comfortable and impactful once they go into the classroom. Um, About how many people apply? Um, I would say around 100. Yeah. We get around 100 applications for about 50 spots, I would say. Would you take a freshman or sophomore at a college mm-hmm. or university that isn't currently part of your, your network, your circle? That's a great question. So I think we would take that on a case-by-case basis. Um, I think that if they were willing to come to the meetings on on one of those campuses, then we could definitely work that out. Um, usually the, the student group on campus meets once a week for, you know, for smaller trainings, for talking about, like, how did things go in the classroom last week? What can we learn from each other? How can we practice together to make sure that things go better next week? So I think that a volunteer who or someone who is interested in volunteering who is not from one of those six colleges um, should certainly still get in touch. And and maybe we can figure out a way that they can be on campus for those trainings. Eva, when the Fordham student groups meet and you all all share your different experiences, Mm -hmm. um, does that help make you a better trainer or what's the benefit of that? Uh, That's a really good question. Um, So my role as a leadership council member is to, uh, in the beginning at least, evaluate their teaching skills. Um, And once they get into the classroom, it is really exciting to hear about their experiences. And so, yeah, that that does help me modify how I facilitate the trainings that uh, staff gives me. You give an example of... uh, Yeah, sure. (laughs) Uh, I had one volunteer in my group who like talked really really fast (laughs) whenever she taught um and so and you couldn't understand her no i mean i couldn't understand her but it was it would have been better if she talked a little slower um so throughout the year uh you know that was just the point i kept bringing up to her like you should talk you know at a slower pace so students can understand you and that's just kind of the approach you have to take when uh, training people to go into a classroom and, you know, uh, do public speaking. Oh, so Um, you guys, it's easier for you to bounce ideas off each other so that that, that's helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. Eva, do you have any techniques for ways to make your high school students that you're training a little bit more comfortable when they're talking about some of these issues that might they might have not been able to speak to someone else about? Okay. Yeah. Um, I think sharing experience really helps uh, if not their personal experience maybe like a friend's experience um, keeping in mind that they would keep it anonymous in the classroom 
bouncing off of that, a lot of the activities that we do in the classroom are things like scenarios where they can kind of talk through these situations as they apply to someone else or like a fictional person. So they can say, well, here's what I think Jessica should do in this situation. Maybe they're talking about themselves. Maybe they're talking about a friend, but it gives them a way to say, like, I'm going to talk about this scenario um, and what choices this character might make. That friend of mine. Mm -hmm. It's not me. It's my friend who went through this experience. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit easier to deal with. Do you guys pass out condoms? We don't. We're not allowed to. In New York City, there are health resource rooms in every school where there's a trained staff member, like a self-identified staff member who is comfortable doing this. And so students know that they can go to that person to get condoms. So there is that room in every school, but we as outside agencies can't give out condoms. Are you able to or do you encourage accompanying a high school student to a clinic Um, I would say not an outside clinic. However, there's a great movement um, across the country, but certainly in New York for school-based health centers. And so about half of the schools we work with have a health clinic in that building. And so part of our focus is really on linking the students to those types of resources. So in some schools, um, we'll actually facilitate a tour of that clinic for the classes so that they see where it is. They feel comfortable like, oh, there's legitimate health services here that I can go to. And then also making sure to train the volunteers to say like, hey, do you know where your clinic is? Like, and help link them up with those services because at the end of the day, we might not have all the answers um, or a student might just not feel comfortable with just anyone. And so um, it's really important to be able to provide that link to them. Can we talk a little about mental health aspect Mm -hmm. of peer health exchange? What does that consist of? We talk a lot about mental health, particularly in the communication and advocacy workshops, focusing on how to ask for help for yourself and how to also advocate for a friend. So um, really practicing the communication skills around like who is a trusted adult in your life that you could talk to, whether it is a social worker at your school, a parent, someone else in your community. So helping students reflect on who that person might be and then practice how would you ask for help for yourself or for a friend. So they kind of set up a script, set up a role play where they are asking for help for a friend from an adult in their lives. You know, we, we know that students can't like diagnose a mental illness in themselves or someone else, but if they are seeing some of the warning signs, how can they just talk to someone about that and make that really normal for themselves and their friends. Do you have an idea of what some of the most prevalent mental health issues might be among these ninth graders? Yeah, the big ones are uh, depression, anxiety. Many of the students have undergone trauma, so maybe PTSD. And we know that one in six teenagers in the U.S. has seriously considered suicide. So it's definitely a real issue um, among that age group of, of students. And so that's why we want to address it. So, Sarah, what would the curriculum for a peer health educator look like in dealing with some of these mental health issues? The first thing that they talk about is just defining what mental health is, because it's not something that's often talked about, especially in a school setting. And so how does mental health relate to physical health? Well, what's um, the definition? So we talk about mental health as the health of your mind, thoughts, emotions, feelings, as opposed to the health of your body, although we know that they're often connected as well. And so the educators talk about mental health being on a spectrum. So not everyone is just happy all the time. Not everyone is just sad all the time. Your mental health can vary both throughout your life or you know, just even from day to day. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a mental illness if, say, you're feeling sad one day. Um, so that's kind of the introduction to it is to normalize talking, try to normalize talking about mental health and the fact that like we all go through different phases in our lives. What is the point at which you want to ask for help? 
someone could ask for help at any point in that, whether you have great mental health, poor mental health, somewhere in between, all of that is fine. So the next step is that skill building piece. So identifying who would be someone who's a safe person to talk to in your life if you or a friend were experiencing, um, you know, poor mental health in whatever sense of the word. And then at that point, they would go through a role play of how to actually talk to someone and ask for help. So what might go on in the role play? So there are some scenarios that the volunteer would go through. So there's one scenario about a young man who has experienced uh, loss of a relative and is feeling um, having a lot of trouble in school, feeling like he doesn't want to come to school, using that scenario to springboard into what could this person do to get better? Then from that, they move on to student written role plays. In this case, they're given a situation about a fictional character, and it's up to them to write a role play about, you know, if you if your friend was feeling down, skipping school, seemed like she needed someone to talk to, but didn't really know what to do about it, who could you go to and how could you ask for help for that person? And they get to act it out themselves. So that part is really student driven. Do you find that there are certain stigmas attached with talking about the issue of mental mental illness that maybe, oh, I don't want to talk about it or I don't want to identify as that. So there's yeah. nothing wrong with me. How do you deal with that? The volunteers do address stigma with the group. So first of all, what is stigma? What kinds of words do people use to describe a person with mental illness? What is the effect that that might have? on on both people who are affected by mental illness and those around them. So really trying to acknowledge and work through the fact that stigma definitely exists because like in all issues, you know, we don't just want to pretend that these are easy to talk about because they're not. Sarah, you said some of the high school students that Peer Health Exchange helps in, in their classrooms, they deal with, uh, you said trauma and PTSD. Mm-hmm. How would it teenager in New York City mm-hmm. get PTSD or have mm-hmm. to deal with trauma. I think we often think of it as an effect of like war or something that that adults go through, but many children um, experience trauma, whether it is um, violence in the home or in their community. Many young people experience sexual assault, sexual abuse, or even just seeing that around them and can be a way that young people grow up with with trauma. And obviously, you know, our volunteers are not Mental health professionals, they're not equipped to deal with that, but we can try to help connect them with resources so that they can be seen by a Yeah, I find that interesting because you don't think like, oh, PT, mm-hmm. you know, post-traumatic stress yeah. disorder, how, I'm a ninth grader. What? But I guess that's true. If you would see maybe your best friend got shot right. or maybe, you know, something happened in front of you mm-hmm. like that or, you know, what would your advice for one of the peer health exchange mm-hmm. educators be? Yeah. How would um, they handle that? Yeah. So we are required to, if a student discloses information about their well-being is in danger or they're thinking of harming themselves or someone else, then the health educators have to report that to someone. So um, often they can quickly grab the teacher who's in the room and, and let them know. They also will call me, call Peer Health Exchange staff, because we have the contact of whoever's the emergency contact in the school so that we can follow up with that student and make sure that they get help. Um, and I, I remember... Uh, an educator who her very first class that she went into, a student actually felt comfortable enough to come up to her and her partner educator after class and disclose some um, some violence that was happening in the home. And so they were able to, you know, connect that student with the with the social worker in the school. And I had the assistant principal call me later and say, you know, we had no idea that this was going on. And we're so glad that the student trusted the volunteers enough to disclose this so that you know, he can be doing much better now. So Peer Health Exchange really has to have its arms in other areas of the mm-hmm. school and even yeah. um, other 
organizations that can help. Absolutely. Yeah. That linking to resources is such a huge part of it. Um, whether that's, you know, a clinic in the school or even just having the contact of someone in the school so that they can then connect with the appropriate resources. Ava, you um, are in charge with educating younger students, but what have you learned as being part of Peer Health Exchange? I've obviously gained a lot of public speaking skills. Um, I think going into college, I was really, really shy and wasn't really comfortable with even like um, participating in my classes. Uh, but with Peer Health Exchange, I think, you know, talking in front of a large group of ninth graders uh, who can sometimes, you know, be very, very honest <laughs> um, has definitely helped in that regard. Uh, I've learned a lot about um, just encountering so many different people. Um, I mean, I went to school in New York City, but I'd never been to schools in the Bronx. And you Are know, you from New York? I am from New York. Mm -hmm. um, and my school was pretty, funded pretty well, but I'd never been in schools that didn't have as much funding as my school did. Well, what made you want to join Peer Health Exchange? Why volunteer well, for this group? mostly because I wanted to volunteer in general, um, especially in the community that I was going to school in. But once I got into it, it was it just became like really fun to go into the classroom. But something must have made you pick this. I think teenagers are just a really fun group to talk to, especially because I was, I mean, I'm still a teenager. <laughs> um, my sister is their age, so it's a group I'm familiar with. I can, you know. Can I ask your age if you don't have yeah, to tell me? Yeah, you can, absolutely. I'm 20. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, you're not a teenager. Oh, not anymore. Well, <laughs> just I'm outside still, of. I'm, I'm still thinking of myself as a teenager. teenager. <laughs> you're a grown up lady. No, I don't think of <laughs> a, re a recent teenager. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Recent teenager, yes. usually. Yes. A former recent teenager. Yeah, grown up lady to some of these, like, ninth graders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but hopefully they see me as, like, their peer, you know? Um, right. I think that's that's important. I, I, for myself, the reason I got involved in this work, and I, I was working in a high school before coming to Peer Health Exchange, and, um, and I just, I find that, uh, just, I, I think that people don't give teenagers as much credit as they deserve um, for just being incredibly smart and thoughtful and hilarious, as as Eva was saying. Um, and so they're they're just it's great to get to know um, young people who who you can see, you know, have goals for their future and want to make those things happen and to be um, part of facilitating discussions to to help them. Do and that's part things. of what keeps you wanting to be a part of yes, it. Yes, absolutely. Does Peer Health Exchange have a way to quantify or measure success or impact? Mm -hmm. You said you changed yeah. the curriculum and it must be because you mm -hmm. see some things were working and some things weren't necessary. Yeah. How do you quantify yeah, we're, success? Yeah, we're always really focused on making sure that we have impact. So we always do pre and post test surveys with the students um, and see gains every year in their knowledge, their skills, their attitudes toward these health topics. So one of my roles is to like be observing in the classroom and see, you know, how are the how are the volunteers doing? How um, how engaged is the class? How um, how strong is their instruction? And so that we can tweak our training program for the volunteers. Um, we can see which activities are going well and which are kind of falling flat and always, you know, improve year after year the curriculum. We also take a lot of input from um, from the students and the teachers that we work with because they're the ones that know they know themselves and their students the best. And so we are really, really put a huge emphasis on feedback, um, not just from our staff and volunteers, but from the community that we work with. How do you see Peer Health Exchange growing over the next maybe 10, 20 years? 
not just in terms of going mm-hmm. to other schools, but what yeah. would you like to see the pinnacle be? So there's a few things. One is that I would love to see all schools have health education, and whether that is through Peer Health Exchange or through um, through the schools investing in it, it, you know, I would love to see that just as a broader, in a broader sense. Um, there were a few schools this year that actually did move their health class from a later grade to ninth grade as a result of seeing how important it was for students to get skills in a younger grade. And to me, even though that means we're not working with them anymore, that's a huge success. You know, I would love to say, okay, great, we can move on to to another school and, and hopefully have impact there. I think it's an interesting point to be asking that because these are the exact questions that we're thinking about right now of like, what are the next 10 years going to look like for Peer Health Exchange? So what is the status of health education in New York City schools? I, I can speak to my personal experience. Okay. Um, I took health in my junior year. It was uh, very short. It was like a term, uh, term long class. Um, when we talked about sex, it was very much like fear based mm. education, if that makes sense. Like you know, showing Don't do you, it. yeah, showing you pictures of you know all the STIs and sh- showing you articles about teen pregnancy, all of those you know after school specials uh, that they sometimes show about that type of thing. And they weren't allowed to demonstrate condom use. That recently changed. Now public schools are allowed to actually demonstrate condom use, which is, I don't know, so like basic, you know, it's not like controversial. I don't even know why like parents would be opposed to that. Mm-hmm. It's not like you have to, you know, have sex. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that brings up a great point, which is that I think there's a there's a perceived controversy around sex education, but it's actually one of the most well-supported pieces of education by parents. Um, most parents do both want and assume that their students are already getting it, even if they're not, which is which is really interesting. And it sort of eases up the parents who don't necessarily right. want to talk about it. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's best if the student has lots of people to go to for questions. But for whatever reason, some students don't feel comfortable talking with their parents. And that's that's where it comes in with hopefully having a, a holistic, you know, realm of people that you can talk to, um, including teachers, clinic staff and volunteers. And that's where Peer Health Exchange that's comes where in. where we are. <laughs> To learn more about Peer Health Exchange, visit their website at peerhealthexchange.org. My thanks to Sarah Cacuzzo and Eva Lee. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon.